Good job, Ethan. <laughs> hey, thanks for coming. What a good crowd, huh? Hungry people. Just want to meet with Jesus. You're never disappointed when you meet with Jesus. Really, people that meet with Jesus never leave the same. We never go away the same. I just wanted to mention, I didn't say anything last night. We have lots of sermons on CD, DVD. We have tons of books. Um, I have a book that we put out about a year and a half ago called Holiness and Healing. Have you read it? Yeah. It's a good book, isn't it? Yeah. Would you recommend it? Wholeheartedly. Okay. So that guy there recommends it, so I don't have to, okay? <laughs> but if you want one, they're on the table. Um, I want to give this one away for free to somebody who really wants it. Um, just if you want it. Are you ready? You going to catch it? Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> okay. So I want to talk tonight on what I think is the most important um, message of the New Testament. Um, we've heard a lot of campaign slogans like change, trust, uh, make America great again. There's all kinds of slogans. But I think if you had to come up with a slogan that would describe what all the leaders and writers of the New Testament wanted to be the message, it was love. Amen. Yeah, I think right. all the writers got together and they really stayed on task because if you read every one of the apostles' writings, the, the main part of each one of their books is love. Amen. That's right. In all the Gospels, yeah. every time somebody would ask Jesus what is the greatest commandment, he would always say love. Love God with all your heart, soul, <laughs> mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, that's right. And that sermon in that upper room that night before Jesus was arrested in John 13, 34, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you. What makes that new is two things. Number one, nobody was doing it yet. And number two, the old covenant, the commandment was to love God and love your neighbor. But in the new commandment, it's to love God and then love your neighbor as Christ has loved us. He set the example. Yeah. If you want to know what love is, it's Jesus. Right. You know, he's, he's holiness because he's holy, right? Amen. Hebrews, 4, Hebrews 4, 4 says that he was tempted in all ways, yet was without sin. He never sinned. So he was pure holiness, but he put on skin so that his holiness wouldn't destroy us. He put on a body so that he could manifest agape. Come on. So he manifested love. When it says in John 3.16 that God is so much loves the world, and then Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you wonder what love looks like, it's Jesus. Jesus is agape. He is the demonstration of love. And so the new commandment is that somehow, by the help of the Holy Spirit and our yieldedness to follow his leading and his empowerment, is that we will eventually learn how to love each other the exact same way Christ has loved us. Amen. Wow. Wow. Amen. I want to be a part of that. Yes. In Paul's writings, oh, it's just too many to count. Let's give a few. In Ephesians 4, he says we're supposed to love just like God loves. In um, Romans 13, he says, if you would love your neighbor as yourself, it fulfills the whole law. In that same chapter, he says, the only debt that we should ever owe anybody on planet Earth is the ongoing debt to love. So the, 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 the implication there is you can never pay it off. That's right. You have to keep paying love because you can never pay the debt we owe. Because if Christ didn't spare anything, we're not supposed to either. That's right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, then you get to the very end, and in Revelation, John gets this revelation, and, and he tells the church to return to their first love. And so the whole New Testament message is we need to become a people of love. Amen. And we need to be careful what kind of love we're talking about. Amen. 
in the Greek language, there's several words for love. One of them was eros, which would be physical love. That's a love that takes. That's not the love that the New Testament message is about. It's not about a love that takes. Then there's an emotional love or a brotherly love, philios, and that's a love that gives and takes. That's not the message of the New Testament. The, the message of the New Testament is agape. Eros takes, philios gives and takes, agape just gives. And so what if we became a people that just yes. gave? Yeah. We right. just gave. Amen. And so about three years ago, God challenged me and inspired me and started talking to me about becoming love. And I never really understood it. Because to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself, to love people as yourself means you probably ought to love yourself first. Or I couldn't love them as I love myself. And when God started talking to me about loving and becoming love, I had to deal with it. The fact that I really didn't love myself because I saw myself as failure. I saw myself as damaged. I saw myself as never really going to be able to measure up, always trying to prove, always trying to be affirmed by what I could do. And it was hard to become love when you didn't understand how much you really were loved. I was afraid to look in the mirror because I didn't like maybe what I would see because I would think maybe I never was good enough. And God has really had to work on me. And so in these last three years, he's really challenged me and then this year over the holidays it was like oh my word we've, we've been this is our fourth church this year yeah. this is our fourth church it's our fourth or fifth I don't know we've been some places so and and so but the first message I preached this year was love uh, the second church we went to in Virginia or Florida this year I preached four messages on love. I'm stuck on love. I think, I think if we if we really became love, it would change the world. Because love never fails. And so I've been afraid to really preach on this topic because I never felt like I really got my mind around it. I didn't feel like I ever really lived up to it. But over the holidays and this year when I was home and God really talked to me and he's challenged me, don't be afraid of it. Embrace it and you'll become it. See, what I figured out is I have a lifetime to try to learn it, but I don't have an attorney to live it. Amen. <laughs> so I'm learning. I want to become love. That's why I say becoming love, because I haven't arrived yet, because I fall short sometimes. So let, let's turn to let's turn to First Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. And, and, it, and, and it just actually First Corinthians 13 starts at the end of chapter 12 where it says, and now I'll show you still a more excellent way. So the way of love is the most excellent way, right? It's the greatest way. That's right. All the fruit and all the gifts, they flow out of love. If you're not growing in love, if you're not becoming love, then the fruit won't be the fruit of the Spirit, and the gifts won't be the fruit or the gifts of the Spirit. There'll be things that are manipulated and perverted, but if you're acting and becoming and flowing in love that the Spirit of God provides, then the things that God wants to manifest through our lives will be things that are nourishment and healing and safety and peace for the world around us. So we need to become love, okay? So, so Paul writes this letter in the midst of like one of the worst churches or the worst cities that you could have been a minister in. It was a lot worse than Louisville. It was. I mean, Paul's ministry kind of took a turn. It was like, I think it's Acts 16 where he's somewhere in Turkey around Troas and he gets this vision calling him over and he changes courses, and he ends up in Greece. He ends up in Greece. And of all the countries that you could have ministered in, from a, from a, from a human standpoint, Greece would be the, the one country that needed the least help because they had everything. They're kind of like America. They, they had the arts. They had the philosophers. They had the sports. We still do the Olympics. They had the big architecture. They had the money. They had the commerce. They had the infrastructure. They had everything going for them except they didn't have hope. It does remind me of America. I mean, some people that I wrote, some of the commentaries I read on Corinth and Greece was, if the, Greece, if the Greek people needed anything, they would just invent it. That's how smart they were. That's how gifted they were. It's kind of like America. If we ever need anything, we just invent it. We have everything in our hands. In our hands. We have everything that we need except hope. We can't manufacture hope because hope comes from one source. It's Jesus. And, and, and he's love. And so... Of all the cities in Greece, 
Corinth would have probably been one of the worst cities. And it's this, it's this city, it's in, the, in this little inlet, the two seas kind of come together, and it's, it's a port city, and it's a good commerce city, but it was full of idols. Most of all of the, the countries of that day had idols. I know when I studied Ephesus once, they had over 30,000 noted idols, and Corinth was a city just like Ephesus. You know, we have a few idols. You know, we have sports, retirement, whatever, but they had 30,000. So it wasn't easier to be a Christian then. It was harder. Yeah. So, so Paul, is, he, he shows up in this city of Corinth, and if, if you went to Corinth in that day, there was this big temple to the goddess Ephroditus, who she, she was the fertility goddess or the sexual goddess. And most of the scholars that I read said, in her heyday, she had between five and 10,000 temple prostitutes. That when sailors would come in from both directions, they would go to work on them, and they had these big thousand-gallon vats of free wine and free baths and prostitutes, and it wasn't hard to get people to join their religion. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, this little Jew, most people, most scholars believe Paul was little. He, yeah. he showed up. <laughs> This little Jew from Tarsus showed up and he had a message. And it was a message of love. It was a message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. It was, he just preached a message. And they, and they laughed at him. And I, and I know Paul, it says in 1 Corinthians 2 that when he showed up there, he, he was in fear and trembling. Yeah. I mean, you show up in a town that's bustling and hustling. Imagine no churches, no Christianity, nothing but idols in Louisville. And one little guy shows up. Wow. That's the setting in Corinth. And, and he's preaching in fear and trembling and... And, and, and then and all, and all of a sudden, the church develops out of that. And so in the middle of all that, he writes this letter to him. And so let's just pick it up at 1 Corinthians 13. And this, this is what he says. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The, the, the Corinthians were very interested in being able to speak languages. They were, they were very interested in being able to flow in gifts and have wisdom and have knowledge. I mean, they, they touted themselves on being those kind of people. And Paul addresses that here. He says, if I speak with all the tongues of men, if I can speak every language on the planet and every language of the angels, but do not have love, I become noise. Yeah. Yeah. When, I, when I read what John Wesley said on that verse, he says, I become hollow. Because mm -hmm. the symbols and the, the gongs were, they were hollow instruments. Wesley says Paul chose those two brass type deals because they're hollow. Mm, right. And if you're operating with great wisdom, being able to articulate, but it's not out of love, it's out of what people will think about you, yeah. it's hollow. Right. It's just noise. It's not good. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy, I know all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, that's just like God knowledge, God faith. Because to have all is all. Right. You can know everything. You can see everything in the supernatural realm. I mean, I've had experiences where I had a little knowledge. Like, we just left a church in Princeton, Florida. I was there six years ago. And I remember I got up to preach. And the Holy Spirit says, there's a lady on the back row that you need to pray for her foot. That was some knowledge. That's not all knowledge about every person in the world. That's some knowledge, right? And so I prayed for her, and I found out her husband came up and told me six years later, just last week where I was there, he came up and says, hey, remember when you prayed for my wife? No. He reminded me, he said she was scheduled to have an amputation on her foot, but God healed her, and the doctor still didn't know why it happened. Well, that's some knowledge. That's not all knowledge. Paul's saying here that if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have... All faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love. I am nothing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. And you know what the phrase, I am nothing is? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> now, Paul also says, you've got to understand Paul. He's not like the average American preacher. Paul says in Galatians, I think it's 6.3, he says, if I say that I'm something, but yet I'm nothing. So he, Paul said, I'm nothing. Paul's attitude is we are nothing. The only thing that makes us anything is that we're made in the image of God and we've been born of God and we have the nature of God living in us. That's the only thing that makes us something. Outside of that, we're nothing. And so I don't care if you're operating in all the gifts of prophecy, all the words of knowledge, know all mysteries and have all faith, you can move mountains. But if you don't do it and you don't have love, you're nothing. 
said, well, I don't know if I believe that, Dan. If you'd have that, you'd have to have something to do that. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 7, That's right. Yeah. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom of heaven. Right. Only those who do the will of my Father. Amen. And the people that they have something when they're nothing, say this. Well, we prophesied in your name. That's right. We did miracles in your name. And he turns to them and he says, Away from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And the word knew is the word gnosko, which means we were never one. We were never intimate. We were never in love. Come on, that's what it means. My view of success in the kingdom of God, there's only one measure of success in the kingdom of God, and it's intimacy with the king. Amen. There's no other success in the kingdom. It doesn't matter how many people you lead to the Lord. It doesn't matter how many gifts you have. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. If you're not in love with Jesus, to where all you want is to get closer and closer and closer to Jesus, to become like him, none of it matters. Are you with me, church? So look at this next one. This is if I give all my possessions to feed the poor. If I spend my body, to, if I... Surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love. It profits me nothing. In other words, I could give everything I have, and I could give up my life, but if it wasn't in love, I would get no eternal reward. In fact, I would go to hell, because when it means it profits me nothing, it profits you nothing. Right. Profits nothing. I read this one article on Amy Carmichael, and she was a missionary in India for over 50 years. You know, in the squalor, everybody has leprosy and open sewage is filth and it's just terrible it's like hell on earth and she's been over 50 years there and she said this she says you can give money without loving but you can't love without giving come on try it come on now amen, amen. that's so good and that's what paul's saying yeah some people say well i want to give so that i'll notice and jesus had a sermon on that in the same sermon he preached the other one on in matthew 6 he said whenever you do things be noticed by others you have no reward that's right and that's what Paul's talking about. Because he kind of knew Jesus. He met him on the road to Damascus. And he fell in love with him when he got caught up in, into a third yeah. heaven. And yeah, he had inside information. Yes, he did. <laughs> Paul, Paul did. So, so, so he says, I'm, I, it promised me nothing. And then he goes into 15 different things that describe what this love is. And this is kind of some of the, this is kind of some of the most challenging and scary verses that I read. Yes. Challenging and scary. How's that? Because yeah. if we're all called to become Christ-like, and He's love, and 1 John 4 says, if, don't tell me how much you love me whom you've never seen if you don't love the people that you see every day. Right. Come on. Right. It says if you don't love people, you don't even know God because God is love. I mean, yeah, and it says, okay, what is it? If God's love and I'm supposed to love, what does that look like? What is it? What does it do? It's these verses. That's right. Amen. Amen. It's these 15 things. And the first one is the one I wish they would put last. <laughs> Love is patient. Why does it have to be the first one? <laughs> Don't you wish it was the 15th characteristic instead of the first one? But maybe, maybe the other 14 would never work if there wasn't patience. Come on. If somebody wasn't willing to suffer long, maybe none of the other ones would even have a chance to grow and happen. This word patience, it means to suffer long. It means to, to go through pain. It means to have to, to wait. It means to go through something you don't like. In fact, love can't even be manifested or, 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 or worked in your life unless you're first going through something you don't want to go through. Right. You have to have patience to even have love. Yeah, right. yeah. uh. So if I ask you, how, do you love your kids? You say, oh, yeah, I love them. How patient are you with them? Do you love your spouse? Oh, I love my spouse. I know how patient are you with them. How, how much do you let them have time? Because if this is what love is and this is what love does, and we say we love it, we don't do this, then we're just talking out of one side of our mouth instead of becoming what it says we're supposed to become. Love is patient. It suffers long. And I don't think it's by chance that he adds kindness next because it's, it's not a good to have willpower and grit your teeth and have patience and then not be kind. Right. Love doesn't work in patience unless you're kind to the one you're having patience for. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's generous. That, that word kindness is generous. It's, 
It's amazing. If I, if I ask people everywhere I go, if I ask them, hey, man, do you, do you love your kids? They say, oh, man, I love them. How generous are you with them? Do you love your church? Love my church. How generous are you with them? Do you love your pastor? I love my pastor. How generous are you with him? God so loved the world, he didn't give 10% of heaven. He bankrupted heaven. I mean, God so loved the world, he gave everything that was in heaven that was worth having heaven for. And he gave it while we were, while we were all his enemies. And he says, now you need to love each other like I love. See why it's the most challenging and the most scary text. Because love is patience. Not wants to be, it is. Love is kind. It is generous. Oh my gosh, this is challenging me already. I got challenged today reading it again. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie, I was out walking, praying about what did you want me to share tonight? And God says, I want you to preach from these first seven verses again. Okay. Love is patient. It is. How am I doing in traffic in Atlanta after driving? 11 hours and the traffic goes zero and then when we get up 10 miles north of Atlanta and it's still going zero and then Craig needs to use the restroom so now we have to get off and get back in there. <laughs> but love is patient <laughs> I mean it's easy to preach about it what are we what if we were patient with each other so good what if we were so patient and it didn't ever cause us to think we were having to be patient because we were kind in our patience. Come on. That's right. Would that be irresistible to a world? Yeah. Not come and come to our services. No, not you need to come here and believe in Jesus. But what if we were so patient and kind to people, they would want to know what we had. Yes. See, I think those two words just set the standard for the rest of it. Yeah. That's like the headline. Yeah. Love is patient and it's kind. And then he goes down in details. I want to be a... Amen. Yes. Who wants to be this? Yes. Man. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Then, then, he, then he says... <laughs> it's not jealous. <laughs> I think there's more jealousy in the church than there is in the world. Wow. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. But love is not jealous. That's right. mm. lo 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 listen, love's not envious. Love doesn't look at somebody who has a bigger ministry and feel threatened because love rejoices when they have a bigger ministry because it means that God's blessing them. Love isn't jealous if somebody gets a gift from God or gets some financial windfall. Or Love isn't jealous. That's right. Amen. That's right. It's not! Come on. You know why so many people get on social media when there's a prayer request for somebody who's suffering because it makes us feel like we're not suffering so much. But if somebody's got a great miracle that happens, there's very few people that want to get involved in that because they feel insecure because they're jealousy. Mm. Wow. But love is not jealous. Amen. Amen. It's, really good. Man. it's not. That's right. We are, but it's not. Amen. So I'm tired of hearing people tell me I'm saved and sanctified if they're not this. I'm preaching. I think I'm preaching really good. It's not jealous. Listen to this. It doesn't brag. It doesn't brag. It doesn't, it doesn't puff up. It doesn't have to sound off. It's not a windbag. It's not... It, it doesn't have to tell everybody what it is because... In fact, I, I've studied this word love. Love is too big to even brag on because there's no way to brag on something that's past finding out. You know, no mind is conceived. Right. We don't know the height, the depth, the width, the length of something. So how can we brag on something that you can't brag on? It's something that has enveloped this whole universe and we get the privilege of experiencing it moment by moment if we'll open ourselves up to it. So with love, you can never brag on love then why do you need to brag on yourself? Amen. Come on. The Lord convicted me of that. I used to put bragging on the internet. Every time I would have a meeting, 
This many people got healed. This many people were filled with the Spirit. This many people got saved. And, and after a while, the Lord said, why are you doing that? Well, I want people to know. He goes, they don't need to know. I know. Wow. So now I can't put stuff on Facebook because God told me this love doesn't brag. And if I'm going to stay sanctified, i got to be obedient to what the Spirit's saying. I can't go off a prayer I prayed in 1995. i got to go off what he told me today. There's somebody to get honest tonight. What if we just brag on each other and quit bragging on ourselves? That's what I've been trying to do now for like two years. I just want to brag on other people. Proverbs says we should do that. Proverbs says you shouldn't speak highly of yourself. You let other people do it. That's right. Mm. Love doesn't brag. That's right. Yeah. I think it might be hard to be a Christian and not brag unless you really died to yourself and became right. right. Are you with me, church? Yeah. It's not arrogant. It's not proud. Word. It's not proud. It's not proud. It doesn't fall because it's already down on its knees. It's, it can't topple because it's already right, broken and right. contrite. Love right. does. It's not proud. It's not. It's not puffed up. It's not arrogant. It's not braggadocious. It's just. It's humble. Amen. Love is humble. Mm -hmm. It's not proud. I'm gonna keep saying that till it feels good. Love is not proud. There's no arrogance in love. It considers others better than itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's not always about your agenda. It's about how can you serve others. It's like, how can I serve? I don't need to be served. How can I serve? And wow. That's wow. so good. good. Feel about that. Amen. amen. It says good, loud, amen, shout, your, wave your hanky sermon, isn't it? Amen. <laughs> not proud it does not act unbecomingly that's an interesting word it's just a word for rude it, it's a word that's love has manners how's that love has manners yeah. you know we can have leadership conferences or shift conferences or grow your church conferences or double your income conferences or prayer conferences let's have a manners conference Amen. nobody show up but love is mannerly Love says please and thank you. Right. Well done and I'm sorry and it humbles itself, man. Amen. Love love just sets the atmosphere with manners and yes. God convicted yes. me on that. Every time I would go eat with people, see, I, I had very low self-esteem because I didn't love myself and I didn't realize how much God loved me. I had an orphan mentality. I was sanctified for 20 years and lived with this bad mentality of myself. That's why I didn't want to preach from this chapter. I let God sanctify me and purify my heart. I, I wanted to live without sin, but... I didn't know how to love. Amen. What good is it to be holy if it doesn't become love? Am I telling you the truth? Yes. How, what good is it if, you, if you're sanctified but you don't become like Jesus? What good is it to be sanctified? Right. Amen. True. True that. It's manly. I, I used to always get up and leave before the meal was done because I... I felt insecure when I was around preachers and DSs. I didn't know how to talk and I don't have good people skills. And so I'd get up and use the bathroom and get up and say, I'm going to go pull the car up because I, did, I didn't want to say. And the Lord started convicting me. Why, why are you in a rush? Love's not in a hurry. Why don't you have some manners? Huh? Well, if, you, if it offends you, now you got pride. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, just, this, this, this is, I'm preaching to myself. You can just listen in. <laughs> I, I want to have better manners. I mean, my, my, my mama's got unbelievable manners. My mama's got this etiquette. Like, you go to my mom's house, man. She's got the china and the, yeah. the extra forks and the napkin just right and the glasses and yeah. Yeah. the cross with the flowers and the open Bible and all the all the blinds are just right so the sun doesn't blind you and the dust is all clean and she wipes the floor with vinegar and she goes out and picks up all the little sticks out of the yard. We're eating inside but she just wants everything to be perfect. <laughs> my mama, man, Sorry. she's mannerly. And then my dad's opposite. <laughs> Daddy, man, he just cooks. 
And, and everybody loves mama's atmosphere, but they love dad's food. And so daddy's doing it out of love, and mama's doing it out of love. But my, my mama's dad, Shorty, my grandpa Hayes, he, he didn't have any of those manners. I don't know where my mom got them. My, my grandpa Hayes, he was a coon hunter. He would take out his coon dogs. and He was a hunter. He was a fisherman. And he would pour his coffee and then pour it in his saucer instead of his cup so it would cool faster. And he just, he didn't have any manners. But when he died, <laughs> listen, when he died and he went to my grandpa Hayes' funeral, for hours it seemed like everybody stood up and said, he led me to Jesus. He showed me Jesus. And wow. so, so it's not, listen, it's not about how you do it. It's why you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Love isn't rude. It doesn't. It's, it doesn't do it for itself. It's always thinking about the well-being of Amen. others. That's what love is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This year, our, our ministry is doing more, and I don't even like to talk about it. Can I read this? I don't want to talk about it, but it's doing more than it's ever done, but yet my whole goal this year is to become this. Yeah. I want to learn to live in fellowship with my team. I want us to become one, and I want, I want to become love. I want to become love with my wife, and I want to become love with my kids, and I don't care about how good the ministry is. I, I want to become the message of love. Come on. Yeah. Agree. It's all I want. Yeah. Because love can't be defeated. Mm. So good. So let's get through this. We're not even halfway. We've got to hurry up. Love doesn't act unbecomingly. <laughs> my hashtag is becoming love. We're not supposed to unbecoming it, okay? So that's just a little point I'm working <laughs> It does not seek its own. What would happen if we never had an agenda again? Wow. Wow. What would happen if it was never an angle to get what we were seeking? To, yeah. What, what would happen if we just did stuff with no strings, strings attached? People that seek their own, you can just tell. They just, they're always talking about themselves. They don't listen very good. They always think you want to hear their story. It's just, and then they suck the life out of you. They make you tired. People that people that aren't seeking their own, but they're seeking the best for you, they're the ones you want to hang out with because every time you leave them, you feel refreshed. And yeah. How come there's not more of them in the church? How come most of the church sucks life? We're supposed to be giving life. Because love doesn't seek its own. Yeah. Doesn't seek its own. This next one's, oh boy. It's not provoked. It's not. It's not offended. It's not irritated. Pick your word. It's not. Amen. Some of the translation says it's not easily. That's preposterous because it's not in the original transcript. It's not in the original manuscript. It's just something was added on because somebody probably had a problem with getting provoked. So they didn't want to feel guilty. But it's the, the original text says... Love is not offended. It's right. not provoked. It's not irritated. It's not. Right. So if you are, you're not becoming love. Right. It's not offended. I, I remember several years ago, this pastor was just talking about me all the time on the internet. He was just talking about me, and I got irritated. But love isn't. Yeah. So I started feeling convicted. Well, why are you so offended? Because he's talking about me. This is stupid. Why would you be offended if somebody talks about you if love isn't? Right. Are you serious? So I remember I was praying one day and the Holy Spirit says, so you want to be over this? I said, yes, I'm tired of feeling this way. Why do I feel this way? I thought I was sanctified. That's why Paul says we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because if you've got things that are manifested in your thought life and your emotion responses and all this stuff that doesn't line up with this, because this is the highest portion of Scripture in the whole Bible. Because this is describing what we're supposed to all become. Because if 1 John 3 says one day we're going to be just exactly like Him because we're going to see we're going to be just like Him, somehow before we take our last breath, we've got to become this. Amen. Amen. This has to be us. Yeah. That's right. I said, God, what do you do? He goes, I want you to send that pastor some money. I'm like, what? Because <laughs> love is generous. And it's not offended. And it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Come on, that's what love does. And so I said, how much? And he gave me a amount. I said, I'm not sending that. My wife will never go for that. I'm not arguing with God. But I did it, because you can't win. Come on. 
I sent him cash. And about a week later, he sent me this long letter apologizing. Because you see, love. Come on. How can you beat love? How can you defeat love? If it really is patient and it's not offended and it and it, it can't be irritated and it's always gracious and it's always generous and it's always mannerly, how can you defeat love? How could any one of us ever be defeated if we were becoming this? Amen. I had another leader kind of having a hard time with me because of some stuff. And I was praying, and the Holy Spirit says, I want you to send him a lot of money to help him plant five churches. I went, what? Yeah, I want you to do that. And all of a sudden, God put love in my heart for him. God put love in my heart for him. So I called the guy up, and he started crying on the phone. He goes, I can't believe the day I'm having. I can't believe your call is so timely, Dan. Thank you so much. God bless you. His whole attitude's changed. He's like one of my friends now. And all it was was love. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I would be the I would be the worst Christian counselor ever <laughs> to have, ever to have an office because my first clients would be my last. I mean, they would come in my door because their pastor would recommend them to me, you know, because I'm a Christian counselor. They're they're having trouble with their marriage, and so they would sit down, and I would say, "Yes, um, which one would you like to go first? And the husband would say, I'll go first. And the wife would have eyes, you know, see. And, and so I know they have issues, right? <laughs> I said, what's your problem, sir? And he'd say, well, she doesn't meet all my needs. I have seven, eight, nine needs. And she only meets like five or six of them. I just, I'm not, my needs aren't met. And I would just look at him. And I would just say, are you a Christian? And he'd get mad. Because love's not offended, but he would be. I'd say, why are you mad? He says, well, why would you question if I'm a Christian? I said, because Christians have died to themselves and they no longer live, but Christ lives in them and he meets all your needs. He satisfies all your desires. So why would you need your wife to meet anything when Christ has met everything? That's why he died for you. So well, either you're going to deny yourself and get on the cross and follow him or you're not. You're just playing church. So unless you want to come back after you're a Christian, I can't help you. And he would storm out and be mad and I would not have another customer. And his wife, his wife would say, see what I told you. She would say that. So much terrible disservice when we coddle people along in their unchristian attitudes. Yes, come on. And then we get them mad, but then they go to another church. Glory, glory. So I look at the wife. So he's gone. Now we can just be honest. What's your problem? Well, he pushes all my buttons. You know, he pushes this one. And would you just pray that he won't push my buttons? I just look at her like she's nuts. What do you mean he pushes your buttons? God doesn't have buttons. Jesus doesn't have buttons. Why don't you get saved too? Why don't you go home and get on your knees and get saved and God will take away your buttons. You'll be a brand new creature with no buttons. She would storm out I have no more clients and I'm out of business. That's why I'm doing this instead of Christian counseling. But if love isn't offended... Why are so many Christians offended? Why are so many Christians needing counseling? Does this make sense? I mean, I think about Jesus, man. He's like, he's, he's walking down the road to Calvary and he has Simeon helping him carry the cross because he's had all of his flesh torn off. He's got, his body's losing blood and he's weak. And I can't see Jesus throwing the cross down and saying, are you kidding what am I doing this for, Father? This is stupid. They picked Barabbas over me? Beam me up. They're dumb. I'm not going to do this. I don't even appreciate all my miracles. Why can't Jesus say that? Because he's love. He doesn't get offended. That's right. Love's not offended. And yet Paul getting beat five times times 39 times. I mean, I can take it one or two times, maybe over a 30-year ministry period, but he takes it five times, and it usually takes three or four months to heal in between times. And what if it happens every two weeks and doesn't have time to heal, and he's all scar tissued up, and then on top of that, they rot him and break all of his feet so he can't walk, and they throw him in the inner prison where all the poop's flowing on him. And then he says, hey, it's like momentary afflictions, man. I don't ever lose heart. I mean, wow. <laughs> how is that possible? Because right. love's not offended. Right. How do we get offended? Well, they didn't talk to me. Who gives a rip? 
I mean, it says it's not offended. I could preach three sermons on that one. Well, they hurt my feelings. How? It's not offended. It's not provoked. It doesn't keep or take into account a wrong suffer. It doesn't keep track. Love doesn't do this, you know, because Peter asked, trying to be religious, how many times, Jesus? And Jesus says, 490, let's start there. This isn't love. 478? Right. 479? That's not love. Love doesn't keep track. Love doesn't know how many times. And see, I'm guilty of that because I can still remember things that were said five, six, eight years ago. And I've forgiven and I love them, but why do I keep track, man? I don't want to keep track. And all of you are shaking your heads at me. Like, yeah, I got it, I got it. Do we have it? Are we living it? Or do we keep track? Because love doesn't. Right. Right. <laughs> Don't you wish it was just a little more watered down? <laughs> Aren't you glad that patience is the first one? Because <laughs> now you have to listen to all the other 14 because you have patience. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Think about that one. It doesn't laugh when somebody's struggling. It doesn't. I was convicted today. I can't believe it. I'm, I'm the preacher and I was convicted on three of these. I thought I had it down. You know what the Lord convicted me on? He said, sometimes you watch some of those Comedy Central things and those people use a lot of slang and a lot of stuff and, and you, you laugh and you shouldn't rejoice in that. You, love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. And I was cut right to the heart, man. I, I was walking around my hotel repenting because I watch things that I shouldn't watch, like comedy stuff and stuff that's not edifying. It doesn't make me think about how do I get closer to Jesus. It makes me laugh about stuff that's unrighteous, and that's not what love does. Another thing, another thing love doesn't do is when somebody's down and out and they're hurting, you don't try to put your foot on them and make them worse off. Love understands that if somebody's really failed... They probably went through a crisis and a hard time trying not to fail. Right. And because they couldn't keep it from happening, then they failed. And so you understand the battle they've been through and the struggle they've been through. And you have a lot of empathy to help them restore and get them back instead of just Amen. pushing them down when they're gone. Amen. Love doesn't write people off, man. Amen. Jesus' restoration program was so much shorter than churches. Right. He was like... Okay, your sins are forgiven. Come here, I'll, we'll talk about you for 2,000 years. I know you're a murderer, Paul. Write half the New Testament. I see your heart. Come on, you guys. David, I know you're an adulterer. Hey, you're a man after my own heart. Let's put more ink in the whole Bible on you than anybody else, even my son. I mean, wow. his restoration plan is so much better because he, he operates from love, man. He doesn't operate from right and wrong. He operates from righteousness. I mean... If, all, if any of us got what we deserve, we'd already be in hell. Yeah. 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 Aren't you glad he's the one that modeled love? Yes. <laughs> so that's why we can read about it and not, like, melt. Because yeah. <laughs> love's still being shed abroad in the heart of believers. Like, we got some hope because we can read this and not feel condemned. Aren't you glad? Amen. We can be convicted but not condemned. Right. Amen. Yes. Doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. Rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. That, that's the word that means covers all things. Can you imagine that? Covers all things. It, it makes a protective covering over people that haven't been free enough to accept the love yet. So instead of you judging them and pressing them and pushing them out, it creates a safe place for them for the Holy Spirit to be able to work on them so they can receive the freedom that you want them to receive and that God wants them to receive. Amen. You know, Peter talks about, I think it's in first, first Peter 4, I think it's 8. Somebody knows where it is. It says, love covers a multitude of sins. It covers, it bears, it builds a protective umbrella over the person that's in need of love. Yeah. Instead of exposing them and telling the world all the things they've done wrong. It creates a buffer so God can get to them and the kindness of God can actually lead them to repentance instead of the religion of man could push them into the devil. Wow. Mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. Love bears all things. Yeah. It, it, it bears all things. It's, yeah. it's, 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 what, it's what happened with my daughter. You guys have heard the story of my daughter. She was in sin, living with a guy, and she was lost. And 
I just had love, and I covered her with my love, and God brought her in, and now she's on fire for God. She's like a prophetess, man. She's like one of the most on-fire women on the planet. It's because God got me out of an angry, disappointed, worried dad that was operating out of fear and anxiety and worry and anger, and he got me back into what Paul says in Galatians Amen. 3, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Amen. So that's, that only happens when you're bearing things. If your kid's lost, you don't put the pressure on him, you put the love on him, man. Love bears all things. It believes all things. Ah, oh, man, I need help on that one. I'm looking for believers that believe again. But love always believes. And it believes all things. Listen, doesn't just hope it'll happen in the future. Doesn't just have faith that the word of God is true. It believes right now it's going to happen. And, and, and love believes all things. It believes all things. All things means all time, all the time for all things. Sometimes I have no hardly any faith, let alone belief. But love believes all things. Love believes that this little gathering of people could change Louisville. I don't know if I do, but love does. I mean, think about that. Love believes all things. Why do we need to become loved? So that could happen. Because according to your faith, come on, nothing's impossible for those who believe. And love believes all things. Love believes that a 110-year-old denomination that was the heartthrob of God that John Wesley dug out of Calvinism and found the true message that would set every soul on the planet free. And the Nazarene denomination that came out of that love believes that this church could have a revival that would yeah, turn amen. the whole course of history. Come on, love amen. would believe that. Now, people wouldn't. People would get cynical and sarcastic and weary and offended and hurt and just settle for their own little deal. Yeah. But love would believe the whole thing could become Amen. a movement right. that would be like the, the leaven or the seasoning of the whole ecclesiastical hierarchy Amen. to where all the reform and all the charismatics and all these and all this. And, and we have this perfect theology that if we actually would become love with a theology to, to express itself, the world could be changed because it believes all Amen. things. Amen. Yes. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yes. Come on. Come on. Yes. Hope's all things. It hopes all things. Oh, my word. When Paul went to Corinth, I can't imagine the first time he preached. Stood up and preached, Jesus Christ and crucified, and he loves you, and he died for you. They would laugh at him and go to their prostitutes. He would laugh at him and go to their show. They'd laugh at him. And then they'd come back after they drank some of their free wine. And what that guy say? And they would listen the second time. And, huh? It probably took three or four times. But he never quit because love never quits. Love doesn't get offended. He didn't care about the crowd. He didn't care about the love arm. He didn't care about the response. In fact, most of his best means were after he got whipped or stoned or in prison or, or shipwrecked, whatever. I mean, love hopes. Paul, Paul had this inexhaustible hope, and he never went to a town for a revival where his concern was how nice is the hotel. His, his question would be, hey, what kind of prison houses do you guys have? Because I know I'm going to get thrown in prison for a minute. <laughs> I mean, do they have gravel floors or concrete floors? That would, that would have been his, it wouldn't be the Holiday Inn or the Hampton or how new it is. Come on, you yeah. see. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. He had hope, man. Amen. In the midst of a country and a city that had none. Come on. And hope never disappoints us because it's the love of God that's been shed abroad in the heart of the believer. Yeah. Come on, you guys. Amen. So, if you go to 1 Corinthians 6, in fact, I want to read a verse there. Can you turn there with me? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. This is Paul describing the people that he came to, to minister to. He says, do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, that's people having sex before marriage, nor idolaters, now, idolater is anybody that needs anything besides Jesus to be satisfied. Right. That's right. <laughs> Nor adulterers, that's people having sex with other people after they're married. <laughs> Nor effeminates, that's like male prostitutes. Nor homosexuals, that's, that's homosexuals. Nor thieves, that's people that are stealing. Nor covetous, that's greedy people. Not drunkards, nor revilers, that's slanders. How many slanders are in the church? Yeah. Nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. Now listen to what he says. But you were you were washed. You 
You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Spirit of our God. I mean, Paul came to a whole town of swindlers and hustlers and prostitutes and gamblers and prideful, lost, degraded. If you were from Corinth, you were like considered the debauched, the debased of the planet. I mean, if you were, if they said, oh, he's a drinker that lives in Corinth, automatically you're an alcoholic and a bad name. And that's where God sent Paul, the minister of this message of love. And it couldn't be stopped, because look at what happened. All these people that were so lost, just like all of our country is so lost, but look what happens when the message of love hits their heart. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of you were set apart from sin, and you were washed by the blood of Jesus as a washing of the word, and you were made right with God, and now you're going to spend forever with Jesus, and love can't be stopped. Man. This is such a good message. I stole the whole thing. I stole the whole message. I stole the whole thing. It's just secondhand information. Paul wrote it. It's pretty good stuff. You ought to steal it sometime. It's really good. Man, it hopes all things. I think about Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. And Sometimes I think that we think that Paul would write something like this because he knew that if if he just kept the rules and stayed in love and did what God said, that everything would always work out for the good. But I, but I want to read something from 2 Corinthians 11 of what I think Paul's credentials are about what he talks about the good, okay? 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 says this, I more so, far more in labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number. How about that one? How about that on your like resume? Beaten times without number. They beat me so many times I can't keep track. <laughs> I, if, if I was, if that was on my resume, I think maybe they don't want me in this church. <laughs> Beaten more times without number. Far more imprisonments. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. I, I can't imagine sitting next to Paul in the eternal award ceremony in heaven, waiting to get my reward for the deeds I did while in the flesh. And Paul looks at me and says, hey man, what'd you go through? Well, I lived in hotels. <laughs> the pillows were kind of hard sometimes. Sometimes the air conditioners weren't really charged up good. And TV, sometimes they didn't have high-def TVs. And people wrote stuff about me on the internet. And Paul's head would just look at me like, <laughs> Are you kidding? I mean, look at three, three, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I have been in frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness. <laughs> Dangers on the sea. I mean, my only danger is, well, I let Craig drive too long and he gets sleepy. That's the only danger I have. <laughs> dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardships for many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. You know, when they beat him, he bled. When they rotted him, his bones broke. When he was cold, he froze. When he was stoned, it hurt. I mean, and he writes that verse, all things work together for the good. I think he had a grasp on love. Yes. Amen. What do you think, guys? Amen. Amen. I don't know. I don't like my preacher. Well, my boss didn't give me the raise. Well, my retirement. Well, Paul wouldn't even understand that. That's why Paul's my hero next to Jesus. Because he, he did what impressed me, the same things that Jesus did to impress me. What, 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 what impresses me about Jesus is not walking on the water. I'm sorry. It's not turning water into wine. It's not having a, a dollar, a shekel in a, in a fish's mouth. It's not raising the dead. That doesn't impress me. I love it, but it doesn't impress me. You know what impresses me? He was God and he became a man. Amen. Amen. And he was willing to suffer. Amen. He, he, he embraced suffering and he counted it joy. Yeah, that's right. And to me, that impresses me yeah. because he didn't have to do none of that. No. He had to do all the miracles because he was full of love and compassion, but he didn't have to embrace suffering wow. except love does. More people have died for the gospel in the last hundred years than the previous 1900 years. And 
We're not, we're not touched by that hardly here. No. We think suffering is when is our church going to grow? And we don't understand it. We say, well, all things work together for the good. It's going to turn around. What, what if it doesn't? What if it gets worse? What if our theology of suffering is the only thing that's going to get through Christianity in the 21st century because all hell is raging. The closer Jesus gets, the more demons act. I don't want this to be a downer, but I just think it's appropriate. Because mm. yes. love never fails. Right. Right. So look at verse 28. I, I just, this is where we end. Apart from such external things, and I looked up that little phrase. These are, these are just like temporary minor things. Everything I just read, Paul considered a temporary minor. Apart from these external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. <laughs> The people that were beating him and rotting him and stoning him, leaving him for dead and mocking him were the ones who couldn't sleep at night because he had concern for them because he didn't want them to miss Jesus. Wow, come on. That's huge. Love bears all things. Yeah. Yeah. Who is weak without my being weak? I mean, in other words, I, I feel it when everybody's struggling. I feel it in my heart. Well, what would it be like to be so empty of self and all we were is consumed by this agape love and instead of ever worrying about ourselves, all we could do is worry about others mm. and, and live Galatians 6-2 as a lifestyle, fulfilling the law of Christ yeah. by just carrying each other's burdens as a lifestyle. Mm. That's only possible if we become love. I ask myself sometimes, Daniel, okay, you're in your 10th year now and you've been to 1,030 churches. Why do you do that? And, and most of the time, if I'm honest, I'll say because I have a burden because if the bride of Christ doesn't become like Jesus, it's not really the bride. And so I have a burning desire to see this become the reality of the church. Right. That's most of the time. But sometimes it's like, well, this is a, not a bad life now. God's blessing and kind of getting fun and exciting and I don't want it to become that. Amen. I don't ever want to leave that pain of Amen. when are they going to get it? Yes. When are they going to stay chaste virgins, not polluted, not prostituted? When are they going to have one lover? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the greatest gift we could get from God as a Christian is a brokenness. We can't break ourselves, you guys. We can't humble ourselves. We can't get desperate ourselves. Right. I think one of the greatest gifts that the Holy Spirit could ever give the body of Christ is a brand new, a brand new brokenness and desperate and a contrite heart that he couldn't resist landing on and glorifying his That's name right. in. That's right. And he has to give it to us. Yeah. But we have to want it, don't we? Do we have to want it? Right. Right. Yeah. We, we, a lot of people say, well, that's a hopeless situation. Love hopes all things, man. Right. The worst drug addict, it's no big deal for God. The worst sickness, the worst cancer, the worst situation, it's not hopeless. Love hopes Amen. all Amen. things. Yeah. Hopes all things. Yeah. And, and then the, the last one says, and love endures all things. I'm not qualified to preach on that one. It perseveres no matter what. It never quits. It never quits. Love never quits. Amen. All these things, it just keeps going. I'm going to read a verse from 2 Corinthians 5, and I'm going to be done. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, it says, For the love of Christ controls us. What would it be like if that was your reality? The love of Christ controls me. <laughs> You'd probably do everything Christ did if it really controlled you. The love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. <coughs> but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Paul believed that so much that he could live a Galatians 2.20 lifestyle as normal. Yeah. He was crucified. He no longer lived. It was love. 
He lived it. Are you with me, church? And if one guy could live it, then somebody else could. So I was home, right, for Christmas. My last revival last year was my home church I grew up in, Olathe College Church. You know, my, my three pastors were J.K. Warwick, Paul Cunningham, and David Graves. Those were my pastors. I, that's the only pastor I ever had. And I was so excited to have the revival there. It was amazing. And so I was so pumped that I canceled all my December meetings because I wanted to end that last weekend in November just focus on that and not think past it. I wanted to be in the moment for God to do something in my home church. We had a great move. It was a great meeting. The pastor wants me to come back. It was amazing. And three days after that, now, now I got a month off, right? I got five weeks off to be with my wife. I got all these things planned to go to the plaza and Union Station and Crown Center and take her shopping and do all this. I'm so excited. I'm so pumped. And three days into that five weeks, my heart went out of rhythm. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I got on my morning walk. I just, I was doing my mile and a half deal. I was just walking and about halfway when I could just, I could tell, all of a sudden you're weak and you feel faint. And it's like, oh my. So I called the doc. And he said, are you, are you hurting? I don't hurt. I just, I know it's out. So I went in, on, that was Saturday. So Monday I went in they go, yep, you're in flutter. We can fix it. How? We'll just go in and do an ablation. We'll burn that little place where it's out of rhythm. It won't happen again. Okay, let's do it. But we can't do it till the 26th. And that was December 3rd or 4th. You mean my whole holiday? I'm gonna have to sit around because I can't move because every time I move I don't feel good? That's that's my that's my break? I won't be able to focus on I won't be able to focus on what I'm supposed to do next year in the ministry. I won't be able to focus on my I'll just set to sit there and not God. I got home and told my wife I'm so sorry because I had all these plans and you know we, we have this ministry that we do for orphans and widows. We help. All kinds of families. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's just unbelievable what happens, you guys. It's like it's like heaven on earth. And I can't even hardly carry presents. I can't. You know, we're we're, help, we're helping people with their houses. We're helping people with their cars. We're getting them gifts. We're doing all this stuff because it's what Jesus would do. And we like to do the whole month of December. We just do it. We 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 have all the schools in our town, and they call us when they have a needy family, and we just go. And it's just like ah. Oh. How can you do that? Because God's blessing us, and I don't want it to ever be about that. That's why I want to stay broken. You get it? Amen. I'm being real with you. Amen. And I can't even do that stuff. And I'm like, come on, God. And he said, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, and I want it to become who you are. Wow. And so what I did for the whole month that I couldn't do anything, I did this every day, and I, I put my name in where love is. God says, put your name in there. That's the best way to apply it. If, you, if you're going to examine yourself and see how you're doing in love, put your name in. So this is what I did. So what, what I did for the whole month of December when I couldn't do anything except focus on this, I said, okay, Dan is patient. Oh. Dan is kind. Dan's not jealous. Dan doesn't brag. He's not arrogant. He doesn't act rude. He doesn't seek his own. He's not offended. He doesn't, keep, he doesn't take into account of a wrong suffered. Dan doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. He rejoices with the truth. Dan bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. Dan endures all things because Dan never fails. I read it every day, about 10 times a day. And every time I read it, I had to go to prayer. Amen. Something happened. You know, most of the time when I'm home, it's... Let's have a big party. Most of the time when I'm home, it's give the kids money. Most of the time when I'm home, it's get presents. But this time, I, I, I kept reading this. And so when I would get along with my kids, I would pour into them and I would encourage them. I've never done that. I'm 57. I have eight kids and four, 15 grandkids almost. And it's always been about the big adventure and the boats and the skis and the parties. And now I'm down because my heart's out of rhythm and it's the best thing that maybe ever could have happened to me because I had a whole month where I could just pour into them. Because I'm not offended. Not rude. Not seeking my own. I'm enduring and I'm believing and I'm hoping all things. And my little grandkids, man, they're just like, it's like a zoo. But they come up on my lap and I just love them. I talk to them about how God's got this plan and 
When I left, both of my daughters said to me, Daddy, you were so gentle with the kids. We've never seen you like this. So my heart beat out of rhythm for the month off. It was a gift Amen. that I could become love in. Yeah. And if I wasn't willing to become love, I'd be offended by it. But I wouldn't trade you, none of your December's for mine. Because I experienced love in new realms because God told me, put myself in that equation and I don't measure up. But I promise you my whole life, that's all I'm living for. So I want to know who wants to live this. Who wants to become love? If you do, would you come up here and just give God your life as a sacrifice and say, let's become love.